Uh, it's quite a story, isn't it? You're probably wondering, like I was, what was that star? Where'd it come from? What was it? And how did it move? And before we start, there's no answer to that. I looked, really looked. And there's no explanation for the star. Not a comet, not a supernova, uh, nothing that we know of can match the description. Which leads us to believe that it was a supernatural star that actually moved and came over top of a house and stayed there. Which some people find hard to believe, but if you remember the past chapter where a woman had a baby who was a virgin, and that baby actually was God and man in one person. So if you can get past that part, a moving star, that's easy to imagine. And that's really not what the point of the passage is about anyway. That's just sort of something, it's a minor miracle and a big miracle story. The passage is about the reaction to the birth of Jesus. Jesus is born. Now what? What's next? Matthew's point, he writes this book to prove something. He, pr- he wants to prove that the person everyone knows Jesus is also the Messiah. The one promised. The king of the Jews. So he writes a book proving that. And if Jesus is the Messiah, then there will be reactions to him being born. And here's the reaction in this passage. So we're going to see three things here. We're going to see two different kings, two different kind of followers, and then two paths for us to follow. The Bible makes it simple. Two choices. So we see two kings here. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, king of the Jews, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who who has been born king of the Jews? You see the conflict? They show up at the door of the king of the Jews, Herod, and says to him, we're looking for the king of the Jews. Not you. The king of the Jews. Uh, the problem with Herod is, if you don't know much about Herod, he was pretty much the worst person ever. Uh, he, he wasn't even a Jew, and that was part of the problem here, is he was what we would call an Edomite, who managed to get into power by manipulating and working deals with Roman government, who put him in power. He'd been in power for decades now. He was notoriously brutal, very jealous. Uh, he killed his, one of his wives and two of his sons so that he could stay in power. The wise men, the Magi, didn't know this, uh, but it doesn't seem like they would have changed what they would have said anyway. So they show up to this king, the appointed king, and says, we were looking for another king. What the Bible's doing here, what Matthew's doing in this book, is he's showing a contrast. Who is the king of the Jews? Who is the king of God's people? Is it the born king? Or Herod the king. This passage is about power. Have you noticed that power makes the world go round? People will live, die, sell themselves for power. This is talking about two kinds of powers. Opposing powers. Herod, king of the Jews. And Jesus, king of the Jews. And what's the difference between these two kings? And how does it show us how the world is? Look at Herod. He's the king of this world. He's the king that represents the power of this world. 
He made it. Herod the king is greater than you will ever be in this world. None of us here will ever achieve the status of Herod the king. No matter what we do, we'll never be as famous, as popular, as powerful, as rich as Herod. He got exactly what he wanted until he died. He was king when he died. He got it the whole time. He was king of this world. He worshiped power, and power raised him up. How did he acquire power? Any means necessary. Power was the goal, so he would kill people. He would work deals. He managed as a non-Jew to become king of the Jews. He was, he was good at his job. He was a shrewd politician. He knew how to negotiate with Roman powers, to be, he became king of one region, then he became king of all Israel. But in this passage, he represents Satan. You see, the Bible works in types. When we went through Exodus, you had Pharaoh versus Moses. But it wasn't really Pharaoh versus Moses. It was God versus Satan. So here we have another contrast. King of the, the righteous king versus the unrighteous king. And Herod is the perfect person to be the unrighteous king. How did he get his power? He didn't get it through righteousness. How did he get it? Well, in the two chapters over, and we'll get this in a few weeks, you can see the source of his power. Chapter 4, verse 8. Again, the devil took Jesus up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. We know what Jesus did. And so we can see what Herod did. Herod said, I want those kingdoms. I'll take one of those kingdoms. And so Satan says, fall down and worship me, and I'll give you the kingdom of Israel. And we can see that Herod's behavior was satanic. He worshipped power, which means he worshipped Satan. And as a result of worshipping Satan, he got power. You see the warning there? You could actually get what you want. Satan could actually hold up his end of the bargain. You sell your soul to Satan, and he'll give you what you want. So Herod here represents all that the world and Satan can offer you. And what was the goal then once he got the power? What's the goal of power? Well, look what Herod did. When Herod the king heard this, that they were looking for the king of the Jews, he was troubled. Troubled like every other person in power when they feel threatened. You see, he thought he might lose that power. And so his goal through this whole passage is to do one thing. Conserve his power. Keep the power that he had gotten. This is the danger with conservatism, is that it seeks to retain something. Sometimes that thing is good, but not necessarily. But the, the impulse to conserve can be an evil impulse. Herod here is a conservative in the sense that he has something and he wants to conserve it. And what is he doing with that power? He's using the power to keep the power. And how do you keep power? You step on other people who are trying to take it. You oppress. 
This is a theme through the whole Bible, the, the theme of oppression. We read it in the call to worship. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him, all nations shall serve him, for he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor, and him who has no helper. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence. Well, where did the oppression and violence come from? It came from people who had the ability to oppress. Power and oppression, they go hand in hand. You can't oppress without power. So Herod here has the power, trying to keep the power, so that he can oppress people. Specifically in this exact instance here, he wants to oppress the, the person who would take the power, which is Jesus himself. We need to be warned. Listen to God's word. People in power keep their power. Amen. By any means necessary. The God of this world is the God of power. And you worship him and you bow down before him, and you give him everything, like Herod did. Martin Luther King Jr. said this. He said, history is the long and tragic story of the fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privilege voluntarily. All King was doing was reading this chapter. What Herod should have done was said, there's a better king? I'm out. Go get him. But people don't do that, do they? They do what they have to do to stay in power at any cost. And, ha- and what, is, what does Herod do here? He says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Jerusalem was troubled because when Herod was troubled, people died by the hundreds. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. Wasn't well, that great? Isn't it great that the king, the ruler of the land, is gathering the scholars of the Bible, the pastors of the people, gathering them to his throne room and saying, tell me about Jesus. You see, that's exactly what he did. He said, show me in the Bible about the Christ. Why did he do that? Because Herod was smart. And if you live in Jerusalem... You have to know about priests and scribes. Jerusalem was a religious city in a religious country and had been for thousands of years. And religious countries value and look up to religious leaders. And if you want to stay in power, you will cater to people who have influence. Notice what the, the uh, wise men say to him. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? But look what Herod says to the, to the scribes. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. He's using biblical language. He didn't use the scribe's language. He used scriptural language. He said, where is the Messiah going to be born? And the scribes and Pharisees said, oh, we know. We've, we've got an opportunity here to help the king with the scriptures. What's he doing? He's manipulating religious groups to stay in power. He's saying to the scribes and Pharisees, I'm on your side. I want to know where he is too. So tell me what you know about the Bible. I want to hear what God's word has to say. Come inside the power circle and you have a voice. And the scribes and Pharisees fell for it because they are people. Nietzsche, who was an atheist philosopher, 
knew this. He said, every specific body strives to become master over all space and to extend its force, its will to power, and to thrust back all that resists its extension. But it continually encounters similar efforts on the part of other bodies and ends by coming to an arrangement with those of them that are sufficiently related to it. Thus, they then conspire together for power. And the process goes on and on and on and on. It's happening here. It's happening now. Rulers realizing that they can't overthrow these people. They're too influential, so they conspire with them. They tell them what they want to hear. They give them what they want. And the goal being to destroy, to kill. We'll see that next week. Herod's one goal was to wipe out his enemies, including Jesus himself. And so he manipulated, he did what he had to do so that he could destroy those who opposed him. And if he couldn't destroy them, he subverted them. Wise men. He's like, oh, no, no, yeah, tell, you, you go find out. He says, go to Bethlehem, search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. I'm just like you. I want to worship this new king too. He told the wise men what they wanted to hear, what they needed to hear. In other words, you can't trust people in power. You can't trust what they tell you. You can't trust when they make professions. You can't trust when they say the right things. The power is corruptive. When the wise men heard Herod, they said, this is great. He's a believer like we are. Found out later he wasn't. They couldn't know any better. But we've been warned. Sometimes people tell the truth, and sometimes they don't. And the more that's at stake for telling the truth, the less likely they'll tell it. It's called sin nature. But there's another king in this passage. The king of the Jews. Notice what it says in verse 2, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Remember how Herod got in the place? He wasn't born king of the Jews. He was born a Edomite. He manipulated his way. He worked. He made political arrangements. And he made political deals with the Romans. They said, we don't want that kind of king. Where's the one who was actually born to be king? From his birth, meant to be king of the Jews. See, this is who Jesus is. He didn't become king. He was born king. He doesn't grow into kingship. He doesn't acquire kingship. He is the king. Isaiah 60 prophesies of this passage. It says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen among you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy. Does it sound like the, the wise men? They saw the light. They were exceedingly joyful. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense, and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. He was born into that role. People of this world can't see someone who's born into that. They can only see people who win their way into it, who manipulate their way into it. And that's the difference between the king of the Jews and Herod. That's the difference between God and Satan. God is the king. Satan is trying to be the king. God is all-powerful. Satan is trying to be all-powerful. 
the creator versus the creation. The creator is the creator. The creation is trying to be. This is the core of all sin, when you're trying to be God. Instead of recognizing God is God and you're not. But look how God behaves. Look how the king behaves. Where is he that was born king? The wise men went to Jerusalem because that's where kings were in the capital. And they're like, oh, he's not actually. There's a prophecy. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. It's a really small town a few miles away. When Jesus was born king, he was born into the lowest, the very bottom of of the social stratus. You literally couldn't get lower than where Jesus was born into. He was born into a country that had been conquered by another country. So he's already, just by being a citizen of that country, he's at the bottom of the world. Then in that country, he's not part of the royalty. So he's not in Jerusalem as part of the ruling class. Then he's born into poverty. Then he's born into a small town in poverty. There's no, there's, it's the bottom. Why? Because the king is humble. The king that we serve, doesn't force his glory on people. Now, it's funny because Herod's son allowed for people to call him God. So Herod has a son who later arrays himself in fine clothing, stands up before people, and everyone says, it's not the voice of man, it's the voice of God. And Herod just didn't say anything. God struck him down dead. Why? Because Herod and Herod's son... We're all the same. They love to receive attention. They love to be lifted up. Even if they know it's not true, they still love it. But look at Jesus. They couldn't even find him. He was so obscure that a miracle had to happen for them to even find him. And what kind of king is he? Look at the prophecy. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What does Herod do? He oppresses. He crushes. He kills. He manipulates. What does our king do? He protects. He seeks. He cares for. Who were these wise men? How did they get to Israel? Because the king sent them a message. You see, The king went looking for them before they looked for him. That's a fundamental truth. We have the kind of king that first comes to us, and then we follow. So these wise men only showed up because the king they were looking for had come to them first. He went seeking, like a shepherd does. He left the 99, and he went looking for the one. And then he protects. He's the kind of king that protects. We read Psalm 72. We go back to it again. It's a prophecy of this very passage talking about kings falling down before him, bringing gifts of gold. But what does this king do? He doesn't protect kings. He doesn't protect the powerful. The powerful fall down. Who does this king protect? The poor, the needy, those who have no helper. What does it take to be protected by Jesus? Just have a need. Just be poor. Just be needy. And that's who Jesus looks for. You don't buy your way in. You don't earn your way in. You just, the need is what brings Jesus to you. He protects, he seeks, and finally, he sacrifices. You know, where it says here, uh, where is he born king of the Jews? 
That won't be mentioned again for the rest of Matthew until the very end. That phrase, king of the Jews. It won't be mentioned again until chapter 27, where it's prophesied of his death, or where he dies. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And when they had twist, twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, king of the Jews. They spat on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they took the robe off him and put it on his own clothes on him and led him away to be crucified. And they put over his head the accusation written against him, This is Jesus the king of the Jews. You see, Matthew knew what he was doing when he wrote the book. He said, I'm going to bookend this. I'm going to tell you the king of the Jews when he shows up, and I'm going to tell you where he leaves. And those are connected. Herod killed. Jesus dies. The king of this world will take from you. The king of that world gives to you. This is why they worshiped him. This is why Herod will pass away and Jesus won't. This is why we serve Jesus and not Herod. Whoever Herod is in your life right now. See, you've got a Herod in your life. I don't know what his name or her name is. I don't know what position they have. You either voted for them or you're in a relationship with them or you go to church with them or you go to work with them. But they've got power, and you want it. But they're going to crush you. They're going to kill you. They're going to suck the life out of you. Unless you reject them, and you follow the true king, who only gives to you, who only seeks, and cares, and protects, and dies. And that's what you have here. Two kings, one kills, one dies. One brings oppression, one brings freedom. And these two kings draw two kind of followers. Kings produce subjects. You are who you worship. And look at it here. The scribes and the priests, the pastors and the religious leaders, the Bible scholars who knew where Jesus would be born, who knew everything about the Messiah, Steeped in the Bible, committed to religion, seduced by power. Let me warn you, nothing's changed. The amount of scripture knowledge you have and the amount of church attendance you have makes you no different than the scribes and Pharisees. And what do they do? They tell Herod what he needs to know, and then they wait with Herod while the wise men seek. They said, we're not against Jesus. We're just for Herod. And so we're just going to wait. They're passive. They passively rejected Christ. Spurgeon says, Some men may be well instructed in their Bibles, and yet be all the worse for what they have discovered. Like Herod, they make ill use of what they learn. Or like the scribes, they may know much about the Lord Jesus, and yet have no heart towards him. Because the scribes had read the scriptures and followed Herod. They went to church and they followed power. They were passive. They served power. They did not speak truth to power. Because you know what about these, you know how you got to be a priest? Herod made you a priest. 
And nothing is more attractive to a religious leader than to be invited into the circle of power and listened to. I'm a religious leader. I can tell you. The power of a, of a political or social leader inviting you in to, be, to listen to you is so seductive. But that's what they did. And look how it ended up for them. They don't look too bad here, do they? All they did was share scripture. But then you go to the end, and where do they come back? Likewise, Matthew chapter 27, after the Romans had beat and crucified Jesus, likewise the chief priest also, mocking with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others himself, he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come now come now come down from the cross and we will believe him. You see where they ended up? The same place Herod already was. Herod was trying to kill Jesus. The scribes and Pharisees let him try, and later they do it. What's the difference between these scribes and Pharisees and Herod? Opportunity. That's it. They would have done it if they had the opportunity. If you follow Herod, you can know as much Bible as you want, but you'll end up a destroyer like him. It was the scribes and Pharisees who Jesus said, and John said, you are of your father the devil. Not Abraham, who you worship and you say you're of your father the devil. This is a warning. You follow power, you'll become like it. You can't negotiate with Satan. The negotiation is the seduction. The scribes and Pharisees sit passively by while their hearts become like Satan. And when given the opportunity, they kill. It's a warning to us. You see someone who worships power, give them a chance and they'll kill you. But more importantly, give them a chance and they'll kill Jesus. There's another kind of follower here, the Magi. The contrast is so remarkable that sometimes we miss it. The book of Matthew is written to Jews by a Jew to talk about the king of the Jews. And the very first people to bow before the king of the Jews are foreigners. Who had been prepared for Jesus? The priests, the scribes. Who worships Jesus? Persians, Babylonians. Travel hundreds and even maybe thousands of miles to do what people just a few miles away won't do. This is how Matthew wants to introduce Jesus as king. He draws, first he draws outsiders, foreigners, magicians. You know what magi means? It means wizard. It means sorcerer, necromancer, astrologer. The word's only mentioned twice in the Bible outside of this. The first time is in Daniel chapter 2, where Darius calls the sorcerers, the astrologers, the magicians to interpret his dream. The second time it's mentioned is the book of Acts. I'll read it to you. To know what they thought when they saw these wise men show up. I don't have it, actually. Elimus, the magician, the magi, who was a Jew, and Paul says he was a false prophet. The only two other times that the word magi is used is talking about pagan, anti-God, sorcerers. 
Wise men still seek him. That's terrible. It should be sorcerers still seek him. It's, it's so jarring to the reader to say, why didn't the, his own people worship him instead of pagan magicians? That's the point. That's the point. The people who should have known better didn't. But the foreigners who didn't know the Bible, see, they, they knew very little. They didn't even know where he was going to be born. They said, we don't know much, but we want to worship him. It's a warning to us again, and it's a call to us. Be a seeker. You don't have to know a lot of Bible. You don't have to be from the right place. You can be an outsider. It doesn't matter. What matters is when you see the star, do you respond? When you see the prophecy, do you respond? When you hear the word of God, do you respond? That word can come in a lot of different ways because God seeks people to worship him. For these astrologers, he sent a star. Currently, hundreds and thousands of Muslims are being drawn to Christianity. You know how? Through dreams. Dreams of Jesus coming to them and saying, seek me out. Now we're like, I don't know about that. Exactly. God's not talking to you because you won't listen through a dream, but they will. How will God come to you? The question is not how he comes to you. The question is, what will you do when he does? Maybe you know the whole Bible, but you haven't responded to any of it. Maybe you know a little bit and you respond to that. That's the difference between the two followers. There are seekers and responders. And look how they behave. They behave just like the person they worship. They go to the house where the young child was with his mother, and the, the, the powerful people fell down and worshipped him, humbled themselves, said, I'm not better than anybody. In fact, I'm lower, something people in power will never do and something many Christians will never do. And you should, cause, you should ask yourself, are you even a Christian? You're not a Christian because you know the Bible. You're not a Christian because you go to church. You're not a Christian because you're looking for Jesus. You're a Christian because you bow before Jesus like they did. Until you humble yourself, you are of your father, the devil. But once you humble yourself, it doesn't matter who you are. You're a child of God. They humbled themselves and they gave gifts because that's what you do for the king. You give gifts. You sacrifice for him because he sacrificed for you. They were behaving just like their king. So now I ask you this. You have two choices here. You have two paths. You have two kings. Which one are you serving? Which one will you serve? Will you just wait? Waiting is a choice. Waiting is doing exactly what the Pharisees, the scribes did. They waited for a better opportunity. And in doing so, they took the side of Satan. So if you're waiting, you're waiting with Satan. That's one choice. And you'll end up with Satan. See, this is what God is trying to warn us about. Apathy is sin. Passiveness is sin. God's already come to you. The waiting's over. The waiting was before when he hadn't come to you. Now he has. And if you're still waiting, you've rejected him. And maybe it's this life or maybe it's the next, but you'll end up just like they did in this passage. Maybe in this life you never get the opportunity to live out your true desires, but they're there. So God offers another path. 
And it's simply this, respond to Jesus. That's it. Respond to Jesus. The king has arrived. Now respond to him as king. Bow down before one king and no other. Worship one king, the king of the Jews, born of a virgin, born into poverty, God himself. Humble yourself before him. And secondly, give. If you're not giving, you're not worshiping. All of these prophecies, when the king showed up, what did they do? The kings of Tarshish and the Isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. That's what worshipers do. That's what they did. What are you doing? Are you humble and are you giving? You said, oh, I would definitely worship Jesus. I would go to Bethlehem and I would give gifts. Would you? Matthew chapter 25 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the one from the other, the sheep from the goats. Then the king, the king of the Jews, Jesus himself, will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Why? For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. You hear the language? They came to him like the wise men did. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels, and Herod. For I was hungry. And you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they said, when? No, we would worship you if you were here. And he said, if you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. So let me ask you this. Would you go to Bethlehem? Would you? 1,800 years ago, a pastor said this, If those many men journeyed so far to see him newly born, what sort of excuse will you have? Not going out of your way one alley's length that you may visit the sick or in bonds. They offered gold. You hardly offer bread. They saw a star and were glad. You, seeing Christ himself, a stranger and naked, are not moved. Are you a Christian? Don't assume. Ask yourself, what am I willing to give up to worship the king? Would I travel a thousand miles to see him? Have you traveled one mile? You see, we want to worship without giving gifts. But true worshipers humble themselves and give gifts because they see who the king is. They see what the king did for them, and they respond to that. Don't seek power. Give up power. Seek Christ. He's the one who died for you. He's the one who came for you. Just respond to him. Let's pray.